This is a bonus season of Favorite Librarian, the podcast. As you know, this podcast is available everywhere. So stream, share, and be sure to like and leave me a comment to let me know how you most resonate with this great conversation. Let's get started, friends. <laughs> Ariana, what are you doing here? <laughs> Many of you are probably like, oh my gosh, Forrest, what are you doing with this bonus season? Well, until June 2024, which is when season three of Favorite Librarian, the podcast will be released, which is all collaborative. Every episode will be with a guest. I am releasing some not used audio and some B-roll from previous episodes and also some recordings that I've done while I've been either rolling up or smoking or reading or after I've had a conversation with someone, I'll record myself in my Jeep. And I just wanted to share some of those thoughts with my audiences to let people know um, where I am with certain things. And so this conversation are pieced together thoughts of Christianity um, religion, structured forms of religion, but also what that space looks like for someone in the South, a person of color, and also someone queer. And luckily, I met all three intersections, or my intersection has all three identities present. So, um, yeah, so let's get started. <laughs> so, the first is Christianity and state religious spaces you know i have this huge appreciation for conspiracies of what many people consider but also just specifically for um, religious studies and just the clergy i think it's just a wonderful job and it's very similar you know respectfully to someone that works in library science the kind of rehabilitation and aid and guidance and direction but also how non-biased and neutral and if someone is catching what I'm throwing there. And so for like Bobby um, Hermit, um, Hemet, excuse me, uh, that's H-E-M-M-I-T-T. I love his public speaking and must, much of his oral history. However, some people believe that he is very radical. You know, the Bobby you know, him it is wonderful. But yet, I believe many people weaponize what he says in a form of saying that he's suggesting um, eugenics and certain radical approaches to black consciousness or sharing the expression of what it looks like within the black experience to have a consciousness as his own, yet so insightful and well-read and well-versed, yet you know, for me, when I first was aware of, you know, him, I really believe that he was using the Bible as like a DNA test. And a lot of people do. I'm not going to name drop Dr. Umar Johnson. But let me say this. When I talk about Dr. Umar Johnson, I use him as, yes, he is well-read, well-read, but yet... And let me say this respectfully about Dr. Umar Johnson, because I hope to meet him and have a conversation with him one day. Um, also with Candace Owens, um, I hope to have a conversation with her. Um, but when it comes to talking about 
feel like I'm going to get myself in trouble a little bit here. I definitely want to have a conversation with Dr. Umar Johnson simply because I believe that, yes, he does provide some great points wholeheartedly. I do. However, I believe it's his approach. And yet that is, you know, it's his candidness. It's his unapologetic, just historical research of multiple, multiple structures of religion and forms of practices of faith that I'm impressed with. However, it's his language with some things that I find fucking hilarious. And, you know, this is a bonus season, so we're going to cut up here. Um, And when I talk about him, same thing with uh, Bobby, Bobby Hemet. I believe, you know, as well as his approach, I'm like, damn, how, how, like, damn, you know, it's, it's like, hmm, it's like, but if you aren't well read or if you aren't interested in that kind of subject coverage, you would consider what he says a conspiracy. Same thing with Dr. Umar, same thing with Candace Owens. I would love to have a conversation with Candace Owens, not because I support or am in solidarity or favor of any of our majority of what she preaches or her rhetoric or what she believes in. But I would just like to have a conversation with her one-to-one, if that makes sense. Like, I believe not only with, you know, what I have consumed with not only experiences, but with, you know, academic research and scholastic pursuits, but also a standard in wealth and array of multiple subject coverage of different things that she has discussed that I have done with the currency of maintaining as much information that keeps me as accurate about what I'm talking about I would love to use I I would love to have a conversation with Candace Owens you know for those that don't know Candace Owens is a conservative political commentator also author and activist but she gained a lot of um, prominency for her conservative views and outspoken, you know, commentary on various communities, whether it be people of color, whether it be democratic, whether it be queer, LGBTQIA+, whether it be different <clears throat> approaches to affirming your gender self-identity or self-identification just in, in general, whether it be for youth, queer folk, or a person of color. And so when it comes to trans and queer identities and communities, I believe her stance is very um, sickening, not in the good way, but I w- sickening in the way where I'm like, I would just love to have a conversation with you because, you know, we come from similar backgrounds, but yet my approach to certain things, especially with her previous history with racial bias and implicit, racial and implicit biases, and being not only the public, but to pursue justice publicly for something that happened before she pursued her higher education with racial discrimination. And I would just like to have a conversation with her, you know, Candace Owen, you know, Dr. Umar Johnson, Bobby Hemant you know I believe that yes they do utilize certain portions of the Bible as the DNA test to justify and to publicly rationalize in in a form not to valid yes well let me say this yes in a form to validate their you know circular logic with certain 
specific topics and subjects. Uh, I'm not going to name exactly all of them because, you know, this podcast needs to stay under at least two hours. I mean, recently my podcast has been getting longer. But back to the topic, I believe that, you know, religion is also a safe place, a safe mental place for a lot of folks that really don't do the study or take the academic or scholastic pursuit to understand who they are and yet there's so much spiritual warfare that happens throughout this world that many people I believe if you don't have a way to rehabilitate your soul or what affirms you from the inside out however you identify what esteem what provides you certain esteem to just continue to move forward what helps to build that confidence within to and then move forward to express yourself I really am you know, open-minded to see what that looks like. You know, there's this book called uh, Beautiful Bottoms, Beautiful Shame When Black Meets Queer. It's by Catherine Bond Stockton. And it's a beautiful title. Um, Hold on, I think I have it next to me. Um, There's a chapter, excuse me, there's two chapters in here that I just think are just, woo. Um, The first is, And trigger warning for those that are sensitive to certain violences, sexual um, intimidations, and drug use. Um, But two of my favorite chapters of Beautiful Bottom, Beautiful Shame, When Black Meets Queer by K.B. Stockton is when dirty details and scenes compelling tucked in the cuts of interracial anal rape, which is chapter three, and then my second favorite would have to be um well actually maybe three would definitely have to be erotic corpse homosexual miscegenation and the decomposition of attraction love that that's chapter four and then let me throw this one in chapter one cloth wounds or when queers are matriarch to close displacement of the fabricated skin this is a beautiful title. I wholeheartedly love this. I mean, for me, it's like, when and why have certain forms of shame been embraced by black and queers? You know, what does it offer for projects of sorrow or ways of creative history knowing? But through this title, it's mostly like a psychoanalysis, photography, queer theory, um, african-american studies but it it also includes a lot of single reads references but also contributions from some great um, folks of visual queer and black joy but also trauma and one thing that i love about this is that Stockton Stockton asserts that there is no clear mirrored relation between the term black and queer rather seeming seemingly definitely associations attached to each are often taken up or crossed through the other and so how they explore the just the dramatic switch points between these terms and the stigmatized skin of some queers clothes and the descriptions of blacks and the economic bottoms and what it looks like in different social economic classes or to elevate or to transition through such or to fall. And just also the visible, the visual and the emotional task and force of an interracial homosexual rape and love. And so it's, it's a compelling book, but it also helped me to understand certain things that left me 
with many questions when I read, you know, Sexuality in the Black Church, A Womanist Perspective by the iconic Kelly Brown Douglas. I love, 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 love that title. That was one of the first books that I picked up after high school. Um, I have it near me right now. Um, and I love this title. I'm not even going to get into this one right now, but, you know, back to what I said when I mentioned that, you know, in the past, I have believed, and also, there's sometimes I believe certain great folks that I listen to just to stay aware of what the whole conversation it looks like collectively. I do believe some people utilize religion as a safe mental place instead of doing the work or studying about who they are. And so that leaves a lot of openness and vulnerability for many people to become not only targets or marks in the area of social, in the area of spiritual warfare, but also that I believe that it becomes a part of decolonizing your mind. And that's something I've had to do. And I want to mention some examples um, moving forward. But I just believe that, you know, and sometimes, excuse me, so I'm going to get so close to the mic. I also believe that when it comes to decolonizing, decolonizing your mind, decolonizing your mind oh i'm getting getting tongue-tied i believe it becomes a part of the process of detaching and unpacking and letting go consciously and then becoming a part of your subconscious efforts and habits to letting go of certain ideas you cannot become married to certain ideas unless it's truly a part of i i i I believe your identity of how it affirms who you are or your journey or to your culture, whether it's a tradition or something you practice in a way that validates or excuse me, uh, or confirms in your way, the confidence you want to express your ancestral background or lineage or how you have been institutionalized through culture, through certain forms of practices or habitual customs, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, for myself, you know, church for me has always been with people of color and fellowshipping in a certain way where it's very ritualistic, where it's very, I expect certain things, and that lets me know that we're getting through the hour because it's so routine. And so, you know, growing up, I either attended spaces that were specifically AME or Catholic or Baptist. Um... I grew up primarily Catholic in AME, African African Methodist Episcopal. And so going to college, I attended a Baptist church because that was the nearest one to me. And I appreciated I appreciated the experience simply because of the community. But I was always, anytime I could get a chance, going to an AME church on my own. And so it taught me a lot about where I liked to go to be seen and heard. And so where I saw myself and how I saw myself is what dictated where I wanted to go fellowship or find community. And I realized I find community at this Baptist church because of the people there, but not necessarily of how they carry out their services I don't really care for that but I'm just but I'm able to find myself through what they practice or certain tools that they use to show community unity or to unify folks that may feel lost or abandoned in certain ways emotionally or spiritually and so you know for myself when it comes to you know decolonizing and 
decolonizes my mind, if that makes sense. Um, the double conscious versus consciousness has really been a thing for me, especially as a person of color. You know, there are a lot of spaces that I occupy where I'm just like, oh my goodness, you know, I, I can't even really be present because my my first mind is thinking about how I look in my mind or if they are not in my mind, but present. And I'm not really truly able to just consciously be present because I'm always viewing myself in, you know, in the third person or in other perspectives. And not that I'm performing, but I realize that, oh my goodness, if this becomes too habitual, then it will become a habit. It will become a practice that I'm unaware of subconsciously because I've done it so much. But luckily I've become aware of it. And so that's a part of that struggle, you know, Everything is a process, and one of the beautiful things of AA and NA Narcotics um, Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous is that they have a 12-step program that is also mimicked for other rehabilitation programs, whether it be non-denominational or regardless of what it is, whether it's struggles with a vice or with etc., for mental health and the first step is acknowledgement but that first step is so freaking hard simply because acknowledgement holds you accountable for the your lack of consciousness or your awareness of something in spite of knowing that it harms you in the long term or presently or in the past and you were simply careless or did not have any concern for at the time but now seeing the side effects and how this one drop makes such a ripple in a water that you did not know you call such waves in it's like goodness maybe I should become more aware of myself and that's where for myself because of hypervigilance that that double consciousness has become such a defense mechanism for myself and almost grooming myself to to perform or to to uh, yeah I would you know consciously in this space here I would say perform or to you know in specific ways act so that way not that I'm palatable but that I'm tolerable you know in certain spaces in my youth especially in the south and a lot of specifically religious spaces because my parents are very religious my mother is my dad is very spiritual you know growing up I believe that my dad was very or, or was agnostic and he was until having you know certain experiences and I believe that he's become very religious now very very but my mother has always but you know my grandfather who you know basically built the church he was a part of which was Kojic you know Church of God in Christ um but on my mom's side is very AME and Catholic all the way down so it's just been like who you know so when I've had to unpack excuse me when I've had to unpack certain things you know the impact of white culture has not attacked my life but some of the false images and stereotypes it's the white gaze or not the assault upon black sexuality but black bodies and so when I explored not only the continued attack on not just black sexuality but the gatehood, the gateway to depravity of just violence and a lack of safe spaces, I realize my safe spaces don't always look primarily solely black or solely black and brown, but that I seek solely black and brown queer black spaces. And I have many of them to go to. However, I found that 
and the community I occupy is very diverse. And so when I was reading Sexuality in the Black Church, The Womanist Perspective by Kelly Brown Douglas, you know, there's a portion, um, which is my favorite, I can talk about it offhand, uh, homophobia and heterosexualism um, in the black church and community. She talks about how the well-being of the black community and just sexuality, how some of those lay separate but pursue visibility identically, but how homophobia and the sexual discourse of resistance are very similar with not only being heard but seen. And so when she discussed the Bible and homosexuality. I was very intrigued, especially when she goes into sexual discourse and the authentic black faith and how a sin and just betrayal of the black faith looks like and is visualized, especially with created in images and images of the God or Jesus Christ in certain ways that are manifested today or practiced or used or even weaponized. And so the reunity in the sacred and in the secular is just brilliantly discussed within this title. And, you know, let me just say that again, the reuniting of the sacred and the secular, you know, let me just start there. Having, I only have one alive sibling. Let me just have an honest moment. I only have one alive sibling. I had two older brothers. My parents talk about them all the time, but they died in infancy after birth. And that has really scarred my parents in certain emotional and spiritual ways. Um, And because my parents were married for 13 years before they had me, I'm their oldest biological child. And my youngest biological sibling is my little brother, Jacob. And, you know, I'm comfortable talking about it here and now because I know how distant we are. And not that I'm saying anything of ill, but we are estranged and he is estranged from the family. And it hurts because older versions of myself see and saw my life with him in the present day. And to live in the present day and to not be with him, close to him, attached to him, be aware of what's going on with him in his life, it hurts, you know. Tonight, I am drinking club soda, mango puree, and lemon juice. <laughs> um, earlier, I had a shot of rye uh, whiskey. Delicious. I had one shot, and then I took a nap, so I kind of slept it off anyway. But um, for those that were wondering, because I just had a sip of uh, my little mango soda that I make. Growing up in the South, I was so tired of my mom giving me like club C and red soda and like frosty C and all that, that I started like making my own soda with like club soda. And also I was, a uh, when I moved to Atlanta, I wasn't really making too much money. Um, and I used to nanny as well. But when I nannied and when I also worked as an after school um, educational counselor, I did Lego robotics and I also turned taught certain sciences mostly biological and life sciences and it wasn't like intro to like you know collegiate level or higher education but it was more like middle grades um early education and middle grades and it was so fun and I did it for about a year and a half almost almost two years and I had a blast but with that I learned so much about myself and you know those older versions of myself if I could go back I would be more present I would be 
more kind because, you know, I reconnected with a lot of these kids that are still in the area. I see them, I reconnect with them. You know, what I do with Atlanta Pride and, you know, seeing them, they're like, do you remember me? You know, and how they reach out to me is so beautiful. But there's some kids where I'm like, oh, my goodness, I could have, you know, supported you more had I been more present. But I can't beat that older or present self up. And that's one thing I've learned about, you know, unpacking certain things. You know, I look at a lot of the perspectives from the Princeton Theology Seminary and also from the St. Paul School of Theology. They have some wonderful things. And with how they gift just their insight into spirituality of the black faith tradition to develop a sexual discourse on resistance that gives its members about the wonders of the fullness and just uniqueness of who they are but what that looks like to be in community is scary as fuck. Um, so, you know, I recently went to a, a new church service. I went to this place called uh, Park Avenue. Wonderful church. Um, I went with a friend, really cool, really cool person. And they introduced me to this congregation and I loved it. And I definitely am going to go back. But one thing I've learned is that um, to be in community, I need to be seen and heard a specific way. And that's, you know, I love eye contact. I love small groups. I love knowing that there's a youth community. I love seeing engagement. I love seeing routine. You know, I, I may not be able to attend every virtual Wednesday, you know, gathering. and But I'll definitely, you know, listen to it in the background while I'm at work. But I'll definitely be there every Sunday that I can. You know, no promises that it's every Sunday, but I will try to make each, you know, Sunday that I can afford with my time um, and I make it as a priority. And, you know, let me say this. I used to have a specific routine. Every Sunday I would go to yoga at a Jamaican restaurant that my best friend uh, teaches at. Um, when they opened their second shop, they became very busy, so we weren't able to have yoga classes there. He's a part of an African drum group and has been for a decade or plus. Um, and he's also a licensed librarian. And instead of us going to yoga class, I've been doing other things on Sunday. I had, you know, my meetings with front runners and things like that. But now that my meetings haven't been as pungent, I don't have many meetings, you know, with like, you know, Atlanta Pride at the moment. Um, or this month, shall I say, you know, my Sundays have been a little bearing and, you know, I realized, okay, I also need to make sure I maintain, you know, my hobbies on the side, as well as making sure I maintain balance. So that way I can do things like attend church, you know, consistently to fill my cup and to be more in community and to meet more folks and to just see what tolerance looks like for me. Um, so that's where I am with that. And for myself, you know, I miss being, you know, I'm a Southerner girl. Southerner, true, through, and true. Through, true, and through. I am Southern, Southern, Southern. And not in the way where many people have, in the conservative way, utilized Southern heritage, where it's represented with rebel and Confederate flags. You know, I grew up to that. I grew up watching that. And I was, it used to leave me in fear. It used to leave me just... And then the normalcy of just having to always constantly be around it. I've learned a lot about it. 
and a lot about being in community with that. And let me say this, you know, a lot of people believe or will say like, you know, oh, I miss when people used to hide, you know, their, you know, internalized bias or implicit racism or racism in any sense. And I'm like, no. I miss when people used to, you know, show and wear their Confederate flags. That way I know who and where not to go and who to be around. Simply off of, I know that, you know, if I come with my rainbows and lesbian flags and progressive pride flag, you and you, you and me both, we going to be looking crazy. Because, you know, I got a mouth on me and, you know, I'm only going to take so much. And so I'm like, all right, sir, ma'am, they, them. Because, you know, it used to be anybody, you know. I apologize if you can hear me smacking. I am thirsty. Whoo. Lord. Well, when it comes to sexuality in the black church, definitely check out this by the same title, uh, Kelly Brown Douglas. Wonderful title, as well as Beautiful Bottoms, uh, Beautiful Shame, um, which is by KB Stockton. Um, but you know, one thing that I've also learned along my journey as a follower of Christ, but also that, you know, I'm also a root worker. And that's something that has been ingrained in me since, you know, a child with my aunts, with my grandmother, you know, with her grandmother. It's just a traditional practice that has been rooted within my culture. Um, growing up in the low country as a Geechee, um, it is a beautiful practice as a part of unity. It's it's an oral history that I want to pass down. It's thing that I preserved through making sure I preserved not only my memory of it, but in remembrance of those that I stand upon the shoulders of Titans. And so, you know, when I think about Christianity, sometimes, yes, it, it has become sometimes a form of escapism or yet a distraction because there are certain ways that I do find community, whether working a part of nonprofits or being in community of other queer folk or, or Southern folk or people of color, specifically black, black and brown and Asian. And, you know, that's not to say that I don't have white people within my circle. I have white friends. A lot of people like to look at me and be like, Forrest, do you have friends that are white, Caucasian? I'm like, uh, yes, and European, white European you know, like East European, you know, like, well, like, where are we going with this? You know, but I think it's just so funny because so many people, yes, I've known favorite librarian is known for primarily circulating, solely circulating black people of color and queer LGBTQIA plus literature. That's all I circulate over here because those authors spaces and artistic scholastic and academic contributions don't get enough amplification authentically without being capitalized off of and I don't do that I'm simply like hey this is a great book this is where you can get it request demand inquire or check out this title at your local public or academic library or favorite independently owned bookstore and when you do this is my pet peeve anytime you purchase somewhere or if you just window shop also look for their comment or question or interest or demand or request box or area and I always leave one or two suggestions Uh, before I go into a bookstore if they don't have it I always screenshot the title favorite it so it's easy to get to 
go to my favorites, boom, have it there, write down the title and then delete it after I write it. That way I can free up my memory, but also I've done my due diligence by requesting this title so that way it's on the shelves for the next year time or anytime someone says, hey, do you have this title? They're like, oh yeah, we grabbed a few copies because there were some interest, but now it's off the shelf, so we're going to have to order some more. And you see what that starts? Consistent revenue, but also your community is seen and heard within your shelves, and I wholeheartedly believe that. You know, as a licensed librarian, I am all in support of someone saying, hey, if you don't have something, I'm going to raise my voice into you too. In the same concept of if, if you see something, say something. If you want something to happen, say something until something does. And I believe that. And that also allows people to understand where their tax dollars are, where the where their contributions go, whether if they donate or whether they, if they are consumer or whether they want to be a part of this capitalistic world. And so when it comes to the Congo massacre, which is what I like to call it, and also the Palestine and Israel conversation, a lot of people are not really thinking about what this truly boils down to, which is human rights, humanity, oppression, but also power and authority and how many people don't understand how it's still an infectious desire for power and authority, which breeds oppression because to win, somebody's got to lose. And to consistently win, someone has to consistently lose in the favor that makes you look like the victor, the hero, but and yet you're the villain, yet you're the pursuer of violence, you're the origin for for current disruptions of peace and yet when many people don't really discuss and look and are aware or address that we understand we don't understand how religion and certain practices of faith are weaponized again when i mentioned how the bible is used as a dna test that literally is an undertone for the conversation for Palestine versus Israel and the and what's going on in the Congo of Africa. And so coming upon this election year, I know that my image as a black queer woman is going to be used specifically to show favor for a lot of politicians when people say, oh, forced you on this person or when they look to see if I post certain photos. So I'm going to be very intentional about where I, I put you know my essence my being my who I am in spaces but yet still show up for myself and in places that I want to be seen and heard too authentically you know there are a lot of places where I go where people are like oh that's force a librarian or oh that's force you know with you know APC or with the board or oh I know them for da 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 but they don't ever see me as a person <clears throat> I don't ever just like have a conversation like, hey, what's going on? Like, how's your day? Like, oh, did you get to watch this da 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 on Hulu? Oh, man, I like that. But on like Netflix, they've got this like movie documentary called like Saint of Second Chances about this like minor league baseball promoter and general manager. Like just conversations like that. You know, or someone being like, hey, you know, it's quail season. I got my uh, hunting license and I just got my uh, gun license. And I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, straight here, join my hunting club. We better do some, you know, I can't do that with a lot of people because there's so many in there's so many expectations of what many or expectations of what many people believe that they know to be true about someone without experiencing someone and so jumping to certain conclusions or only having one perspective of an, an argument with little evidence or having one perspective of a conversation and 
only having an experience that is in opposition of that it leaves you at a at a crossroad a juxtaposition where you're like hold on certain things aren't you know parallel with what I've experienced and yet I don't have access to experience more to make a insightful informed decision and so you know um, one thing I definitely want to mention is when I read Black Skinhead Reflections on Blackness and Our Political Future by Brandy Collins Dexter, there were some wonderful things in here that just woo resonated with me, especially when they talk about the um, Obama era and time of organizing for America. Um, it reads on page 108, at some point the decision was made to formally change the name from Obama for America to organizing for America. It was decided that the organization would be housed within the Democratic Nation Committee. When the decision was actually made is another point of con- of contention. It says, for example, well, we're not going to get into that example, but it I love some of the perspectives that they have, not only just in the DNC, but also what it looks like to just, you know, when they mention how black women are the, I believe, yes, black women are the backbone for a lot of political thought and feminist wins, but labor organization and organizing in this country. And, you know, they mention this with, um, how to get free black feminism and the um and the and the combine by the river collective but also with how they mentioned that the work and labor done between election cycles are done often taken for granted but also are done on the backs of many black and queer women and people of color and people and so people want to quote unquote support black women and listen to black women and you know defy black women but the only type of black woman only when it's convenient for black people to do so is one that is valued only for the labor for a party or idealistic policies or politics or what is true for both the democratic or republican party so it's true that in the non-profit industry or industrial complex that there are broader political ecosystems and there are because i've been a part of them myself and it's also true that when you know you're talking about economic justice and issues of sex work that people want to listen to black women when black women are saying that they want these things that parallel with their desires for the general public but you know when we talk about respectability politics you know some black women go rogue and what we hear a certain rhetoric like when we hear from Candace Owens and certain other YouTube and podcasts, uh, esteemed folk, you know, there's no UNITY like what, you know, Queen Latifah says. But when we look at, you know, areas of Congress, like with Congresswoman um, Maxine Waters and other folk, we see unity like was with Debrat and so many folk who's also a queer person. Um and let me just mention this when it comes to Debrat. Debrat said that she she is not masculine presenting. And that she is more feminine presenting, that she gives femme energy. And for myself, I'm like, okay, as someone that is femme, I'm like, oh, you know, there are, there are multiple areas of the of the femme queer spectrum. But I'm like, where where on the femme spectrum are you, ma'am? Because you're giving me soft stem, you know, soft butch, you know, very soft butch, you know, how to beat face. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not giving me fam, ma'am. 
You're giving me very soft, 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 soft butch. And I'm using soft with the most exaggeration, my friend. Um, but I, that's just a side note. Forgive me for sharing my little intuitive thought. But, um, <laughs> but you know, womanhood and feminism includes all folk. And so, you know, we include, you know, not we, but the conversation includes Debrat when we talk about, you know, femininity and inclusion for queer folk and how they present differently or what it looks like for them. And so who am I to say that, that, that Debrat is not feminine? To my standards, I would consider Debrat a soft butch. I would not consider them, you know, feminine, but she identifies herself to be feminine and a femme woman. So, you know, I'm like, okay, to each is on. And so if I, if we don't unify, even with our differences, you know, Aristotle says, you know, a brilliant mind can entertain a different opinion and still move forward in a conversation, paraphrasing heavily there. But, you know, in order to unify, to have unity and to regulate this kind of community and acceptance we have to understand that we may have different interpretations of different definitions but yet not only not only is there a spectrum definitions are consonant they're consistent they're certifiable clarified representations of credibility that many people use in reference so they cannot be changed but they can be amended and is and extended by current definitions or currency in certain culture cultural practices boom um, and that's coming from a licensed librarian, been in the game for a minute, baby. <laughs> so, you know, one thing that I want to share here with you guys is that the climb of reading, you know, think about reading as a heel. Going up the mountain is reading. Going down the mountain is applying and repeating what you've read. But a lot of people get stuck on top of the mountain and they become loud and wrong because of the cycle of information, current events, current popular events, traumatic instances and and events and collisions and impacts, as well as ebbs and flows of emotion, where many people may retract certain information. And so if you don't go down the hill, if you're only at the top, you know, if you've only read and you're now loud and wrong or just simply loud, you become wrong because in certain instances, information changes. And when we continue functioning in that silo, it's also a reflection of functioning in dysfunction because to be aware or not to be aware is a process, whether we're conscious of it or not. There are steps either missed or not taken, which is a part of that process of acknowledgement, similar to what we mentioned earlier in this episode of the 12-step program. Acknowledgement is the first step. Awareness. I'm becoming aware of self, my deeds, my actions, my repercussions, how they affect others, how they affect myself, my choices, my future self, my past self. Awareness. When you have these conversations with yourself internally, having that conversation externally empowers you to become more visible and vulnerable in spaces that you were once guarded or in some ways hiding, not behind the truth, but weaponizing it in a way that showed, hey, you can only get close to me or you can you know that you're close to me by 
having access to specific information that only I share that other people don't that they can't even confirm or deny or even are privy to. And so when we talk about climbing the mountain and going down the mountain, the climb of reading is one going up the hill. Click, 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 click is what you read. Neutral learning environment, balance information, understand each point. Yes, I have checked out a Candace on books to read what is going on on the other side of the conversation. Have I thought about purchasing one? Yeah, I thought about it because I was like, hold on, this book, she's got some good points here. But I'm like, hell no. But at the same time, I'm like, hmm, some good points. But at the same time, I'm like, hell no. I'm more hell no than anything else. So when I read, you know, it's about reading with balance. Read for a fulcrum. A fulcrum is a something that provides you a balance of information so you can decide what is best for you so you can stay informed. And so when it comes to getting stuck on top of that hill one way to get down is to be is to go back down it or to just go all the way forward so you can either take a step back or take a step forward taking a step back means I need to read some more I need to go back and make sure my gear is good do I have all the tools that I need to comprehend to process to apply if so if not let me make the next best proper refined step if I can let me move forward and go forward down the hill so that way I can apply what I know and repeat that way I'm growing and others can grow with me the definition for winning for favorite librarian forest is when you can grow learn and shine and be celebrated amongst others simultaneously and effortlessly effortlessly where they are also growing shining and they're also eating and getting paid too. That to my to me is growing. That to me is winning. When I can look to my left and right, forward and backwards, and all my people, my tribe, the people I'm with, people I love, the people checking in on me, the people I'm checking in with, when they're growing, when they're learning, when they're, you know what I'm saying? When they're getting paid well, when they're compensated well, when they're circulating opportunities to, when they're uplifting others, when they're able to shine too, and it's not in competition, but in collaboration and individually, that, my dear, is that's winning. And so I learned that with the climb of reading. You know, there are certain times where I realize, hey, I may have a big personality to some, but my but I'm definitely an introvert. When I walk in the room, I easily just can stay in one area for the whole night. But if I'm with my friends, oh man, I'm working the whole room. You would think it's my birthday or something. You would be like, damn, who is this? Who is this girl? I've never seen this girl. But if I'm there by myself or with just like a one friend, I'll stay in one area and I'll mind my business. Get a drink or two. I love gin. Give me some Tanqueray gin, club soda, or I'll get me a, Casamigos or pineapple juice. That's my two to go drinks. If you ever want to win me over, it's a gin and tonic with olives, Tanqueray, or it's Casamigos and pineapple juice. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Love it, love it, love it. Or a buttery nipple. (laughs) Our green tea shot. If I'm not drinking, but I'm out with the crew, then I'll drink a buttery nipple or a green tea shot. But if we out partying or something, I'm like, oh, gin and tonic, please. Gin and tonic, please. (laughs) <laughs> or they're like, oh, we don't got, we don't have any gin. Or they're like, we have house gin. I'll be like, oh, let me get that. Or I'll be like, oh, let me get that Casamigos and that pineapple. Showing up, showing up, and making a double, baby. Thank you. Um, but anyway, 
Um, this week's episode has is brought to you by Black Skin Hands by Brandy Collins Dexter and Beautiful Bottom, Beautiful Shame by Stockton and also Sexuality in the Black Church by Kelly Brown Douglas. I really have enjoyed you guys. Uh, hopefully this episode is not too loud, properly edited and trying something new. So like I said, comment, like, share, let me know what you like. And yes, I do read my comments. I do read my DMs. I may be delayed in responding, but I do read every single one personally. And so if you want to share any reviews or comments publicly, I invite that. But also if you're looking for any help or support, or if you're like, hey, Forrest, what's the best book for da 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 da? This is, I'm there. I'm, I'm your person. Maybe not consistently, but I got you, every, you know, every, you know, one or two times throughout the year. Now, if you in my tribe, you already know what's up. What's up? All my niggas love me, you know. So, oh, Lord. Lord, let me get off this. Lord have mercy. Now I feel like that Karen Clark meme. I'm just like, anyway, I'm not going to repeat myself. I hope y'all have a good time. Thank you for following me. Stay tuned. Be sure to share, like, comment, stream. Please like Love on this podcast season three of Favorite Library and the podcast will be released June 2024. It is all collaborative. Every episode is with someone. Stay tuned for that. In the meantime, this bonus episodes of Favorite Librarian will be around and circulating, giving you all some fun tidbits of just some B-roll that wasn't used and some new recordings on some current and popular recent topics and events that many of us are all witnessing and experiencing. In the meantime, continue reading. As always, you are not alone. There is something out there for you. You can't get away from me that fast. Be sure to share, like, comment, stream, favorite librarian, the podcast, anywhere a podcast can be heard. Amazon, Spotify, Google Playlists, everywhere. Also, did you know Favorite Librarian also has curated playlists on Apple Music? Just check out Favorite Librarian. It is a beautiful circulation and curated great collection of vibes that are also paired with certain titles but just also certain emotions and great titles in the meantime continue reading and for more information check out favorite librarian on instagram or www.favoritelibrarian.com